Good evening. It's good to be back home. Amen? And uh, sort of nostalgic in a sense. It's, this is my spiritual family, my home. I was born, born again in this church 17 years ago is now, right? 17 years. And uh, it's like it's a long period of time um, to be associated with the church. And it was only, my only church. And this church was not only did they lead me to Christ, but they discipled me and they brought me on staff and they continued to disciple me. Then, then they kicked me out of the doors and sent me to Uganda. And uh, so, when, so when I come back, it's just like, oh, it's family. It's fun. It's comforting, reassuring, all these things. So all these emotions are going through my mind right now and just trying to even make sense of all of it. And it's just a, a pleasure to come back and kind of update you on what's been happening over in Gulu, Uganda. So like Pastor Eric said, I've been over there for the last, I've been in Uganda for the last two years with my family. And uh, I have three little children, uh, Joshua, Abigail, and Ethan, a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And my wife, Rebecca, is sitting over here to my right. And, uh, and we have been having the time of our life. And uh, we've had our challenges, of course, you know. But I'm telling you, what, what God is doing is, more than um, what we thought he was going to do. And I don't know why I would think something like that, right? He always somehow, like, just blows your expectations away. And he definitely has been doing that uh, for us and our family. And some things have, uh, as Pastor Eric said, have come to fruition. And for one is we have the name of our ministry, Terebinth Ministries. We have that set in place. And you're thinking, what is a Terebinth? What is, the, what is this thing? Terebinth. And if you look in the Old Testament and you look starting around Genesis chapter 13 and then you'll continue to see it, it pops up every so often. And it's a tree that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Gideon, they would go to, even set up an altar and worship God there. And it was their shelter. And so about two years ago, I was sitting there praying through. I was like, God, what do you want us to call our ministry? And I kept running into this tree. And I was like, ah. So I go to my wife, Rebecca, and it's like, like this, this tree keeps on popping up. And I don't know if this is supposed to be the name of our ministry or not. She's like, you know what? I've been studying the scriptures in my own quiet time, and he keeps bringing that same tree up into me. I was like, well, I guess that's the name of our ministry, Terebinth Ministries. And so here we are, Terebinth Ministries. And if we were to quickly say what we do, Spiritual health and physical health. We train up pastors and leaders, and we help people medically. And so real quickly, if you were to be able to say, what does Terabeth Ministries do? It's just two things, spiritual health and physical health. And this is our logo, and you'll see it out there as well. And I'll have more information out there in these little brochures or whatnot. So I do want to take you through a few things, though. As we have launched out in two years, it has been busy. And so I would like to show you something. I would like to show you Calvary Chapel Gulu. And some of you know that we have been raising funds for this church for quite some time. And here at Rocky Mountain with our runs. And for the last three years, you guys have been raising funds for us. And well, there we have it. The church is built, finally. And I'm supposed to bring back a big thank you from this church because now we have our own place. 
we have our own place to call our own. Before we had been renting and, and the relationship really wasn't good with the landlord we are taking advantage of. Now we have a place to call our own. Amen? And so that's been going on. We've, that was just in the, in the last, I would say, two months that church has been built. And now we're worshiping in it and they're using it quite a bit. Um, really what has been remarkable is watch, just watching God just kind of unfold his plan for us. And for the last three or four years, we've been praying about this opportunity to take over this thing called Dream Center Uganda. And, but for some reason, God's like, I'm sending you out there to start a school of ministry for pastors and leaders. And, but that's this, this opportunity kept coming up to us and we kept rejecting it because I'm not medical. And they have a beautiful medical clinic out there and it's on like 11 acres of land. And, and it just so happens that we had some teammates come and join us, John and Kristen Kopal, and she's medical. And after about a year of continuing to pray about it, it just seemed like, God, you're doing something great here. And should we step out in faith and take this thing over? And we decided yes. And here's a picture of this clinic. I mean, this clinic, they call it a level three clinic. And it has a lab. We can deliver babies in this clinic. Um, It has an x-ray machine. Keeps people there 24-7 and caring for them. It's about 25 minutes outside in the bush. And we're seeing a lot of patients coming through every single day. And it was just, it's a way for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus not only to preach, but also extend that hand, that helping hand and helping some of these people. Some of them are very poor people. And so if we're able to be able to just to share the love of Christ, as we can do medical and preach the word of God, praise the Lord. And so that's what we're doing there. And I I wish I could show you the rest of this property because it's really a beautiful piece of land. It has a clean water well on it so the community comes to it so they don't get typhoid anymore. And so we're able to, to feed the community fresh water off of this land as well. And we're going to start a farming project to help offset the cost of our ministry. So we have a farmer. We're going through the process of all this as well. So we're, we've been busy for the last year and a half, two years. And you can see what's been going on. But pride and joy here is our school for pastors and leaders, our school of discipleship. And as you can see coming up here on this next slide, this is our class, our first class. I call it the class of 2019 because that's when they're going to graduate. <laughs> I love these men. They come in one week out of every month. They leave their families. They stay on the site. And they come in on a Sunday night. And they stay all the way till Saturday. And I test them out on Saturday. And they hit the books extremely hard. And we go through a book of the Bible, or sometimes even like last Last month, we went through First and Second Kings in one week and just broke the whole thing down. We read every verse. And we go through, we try to get them to understand what's the plan of God? What's happening here in the scriptures? How do you interpret this passage of scripture? And we just for, I mean, we have class for about five hours every day. Then we break them. They have some rest and then they study in little groups as well. Then go back over the message and they do this the entire week. And they are grasping it. They are getting it. We've gone through about 12 books of the Bible so far. And by the end of three years, in May of 2019, hopefully we have gotten through all 66 books of the Bible. And they can stand on their own two feet. And this is the, a wonderful thing. Some of them come from three and a half hours away. One guy comes from five hours away just to come to the school. 
And they're all pastors or they're teaching in their churches as leaders. And they come from just a wide range of background. A lot of them have gone through the war. Some of them were even in the war that was there. A lot of them, they suffer from this past of poverty. Uh, many of them, I would say probably half of them grew up in families with polygamy, where their fathers would have four or five wives. And one of my leaders, he has 47 siblings. Now, you have all these different dynamics, family structure, views of marriage. We're talking a different sort of worldview than what we're used to, huh? Could you imagine? And so one of the things that we do is to try to figure out together. We see the Ugandan worldview and we see the Western worldview and we try to figure out how do we have a biblical worldview, regardless of what culture we come from. How do we have a biblical worldview? And we labor with that. We're sitting there studying the scriptures like, what does Jesus tell us to do? What does he have for us? Not necessarily what does our culture have for us. And so it's wonderful to see the transformation, not only in them, but in myself as well, because I'm learning so much as we go through this. And so these, these gentlemen are just wonderful, wonderful people. These are what God had placed in my heart when, before I even left and God gave us those, those men, and they are doing a fantastic job. Would you continue to pray for them, though? They do, suffer, they, do, they do go through some hard times. And so our challenge in Uganda is about, I would say, if the statistic is right, 88% of the pastors in Uganda have zero training in the Bible. Up north, I bet the statistic would go even higher. That's remarkable. And the thing with Uganda is it's an evangelized country. Everybody has heard of Jesus. But the problem is it's not a discipled country. And when you read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, he says to go out into all nations making disciples, not converts, right? And discipleship isn't always easy, is it? It's actually pretty messy at times. And we are called to walk alongside of these men and help disciple them through life by using the scripture. And so when we're in here, it's just more than just a school. It's just like we want to do life as much as we possibly can with them, even with the distance. It's, it's far sometimes, but we have leaders within that group that I can trust that can help disciple them as well. And by the time that three years is up, hopefully they have a really firm grasp of the majors, family life, married life, how to be a pastor, how to counsel, all rooted in the scripture. And so when, when I go through a passage of scripture, we're going to teach them how to interpret scripture with scripture because they don't have a commentary set. They don't have Logos Bible programs or word search Bible programs you get online. They don't even have the internet. All they have is the Bible. And so we have to figure out how to teach them the word of God by using the scripture. And of course, we as leaders, we're pouring over commentaries and we're trying to figure it out ourselves. But when we teach them, they have to be able to interpret scripture with scripture. And so one of the, the I was trying to figure out, like, what, what do I teach you guys when I come back? There's so many options here. What do I teach you? 
And I was like, well, I'm just going to teach what God has been putting upon my heart for the last two years. What is it like to step out in faith? And how do I teach these men as disciples of Christ to step out in faith? And so we're going to go through a, pop, a really popular passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14. So let's pray, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 14. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our eyes would be open to your understanding, that our interpretation would be rooted in the Word of God, and that you just bring peace, peace in our hearts, peace in our minds and help us to be able to just walk worthy of you, walk worthy of the gospel. Help us to step in faith in all things and keep our eyes locked and focused on you in all things until the day we go home to be with you. Help us to rise above our circumstances. And so just, just be with us here tonight. Guide us and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this passage is a popular passage. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. And it's, a, it's the passage where Jesus and Peter are walking on the water. You know, we... We know of four people in the history that have walked on the water. Peter, Jesus, Jose, <laughs> running with the bulls, and then this guy. Let's just talk about the first two. I don't think the last two have any street cred. Let's talk about Peter and Jesus. What is this story about? Let's read through it real fast. Starting in verse 22, and we'll work our way down to all the way down to verse 33, and then we'll sort of go through the scriptures here and break it apart. It says, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So we said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, 
Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is our passage for tonight. And when I read a passage like this, I'm going to start asking questions. How do I interpret this passage? So one of the questions is, why did Jesus allow his disciples to struggle and suffer in this hardship? You ever think about that? Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he made him struggle and suffer in this hardship, in the darkness, in the middle of the sea. What's the main point of this passage? I would ask that question. And then how are we as his disciples able to interpret this passage and apply it to our lives today? And that's important. How am I supposed to apply this passage of scripture where Peter is actually walking on water because it's never going to happen. I'm not going to walk on water. And I don't think Jesus is asking us to literally walk on water. Not like he did with Peter. And if I'm running from a bull, I might be able to. So I'm going to ask these questions. And by the time I get done with the study, hopefully we have the good answers for them. But so let's go ahead and go back to the scriptures and observe what's happening here with a little bit of interpretation, okay? So immediately, it says that Jesus put them into that boat and sent them away. Immediately. That's a strong word. What was happening? So we know that this passage of scripture where Jesus is walking on the water happens in three of the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and John. And what precedes this account in each three of those gospels is the, the feeding of the 5,000. So that story sort of kind of fits together for, for us to understand what was happening here. Now, Matthew is the only one who includes the addendum of Peter walking on the water. The other two don't. So we have three gospel accounts, and we see prior to that the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus sends them out immediately. And we know that that scene must have been crazy because those people were trying to make Jesus their bread king. Remember, we want you to be king. You fed us. Kind of like the prosperity gospel in action, right? If this guy can feed us bread, then I'm making him king, and my life is going to be fantastic. They missed the point. Of that whole thing, Jesus removes the 12 disciples from that scene, puts them in a boat, sends them on his way, and then he says, I'll meet you to the other side. Where's the other side? Mark says Bethsaida, if you read the Mark account. They're going to go over through the Sea of Galilee. So they're on their way. It's becoming now nighttime, and Jesus now, he goes up to a mountain to pray. He's not walking around. He's going up to a mountain to intercede, talk, communicate with his heavenly father, and probably intercede on behalf of the disciples. It doesn't say what he prayed for. So we see that happening. The wind now becomes extremely excessive. Um, the New King James says it was boisterous, right? It was we know with the Sea of Galilee that when the wind comes down off those mountains, it can cause some crazy, crazy waves. 10, 
15 feet tall. We don't know the size of these waves, but they are going at it. They are rowing all night long because of these winds and these waves. It was contrary. And they kept pressing forward, kept pressing forward. And what we find here is they actually get halfway in the middle of the sea, which would be about two, I think it's like four miles is in the middle point of the sea. They made it all the way there. And then it says in verse 25, everybody look at your Bibles there, verse 25, it says it was the fourth watch of the night Jesus went to them. What is the fourth watch of the night? So in the Roman system, they, they, they divided the time into chunks for security purposes and whatnot. It started at six, around six at night, and it goes to nine. That's the first quarter, and this kind of continues to go. So the fourth quarter means that around between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, right as the sun was probably starting to come up, here they are in the middle rowing, and Jesus sees this. So in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus goes to them. How does he go to them? He's walking upon this crazy wave, these crazy waves. And he's going straight to them. And when the disciples see him walking on the sea, of course they're going to be troubled. And they cry out thinking, it is a ghost. So in the, in the Greek, we get the word phantasia, which is where we get the word phantom. Um, we get the word ghost or spirit, right? And it, it, it's a ghost. They don't know what this thing is. And here's this word again, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And you think that's just, okay, what's the big deal? What's, what's the big deal about that statement? And this statement right here is packed full of um, just amazing truth. Amazing truth. And one of the things that we have here, the challenges is it's in the Greek. But if you read the commentators, if you go into the commentators and you start reading through it, almost all of them are going to say, if you were to translate that, this into the Hebrew, it would be, be of good courage. It is, I am. Do not be afraid. And then you're asking, Kent, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you know anything about the, word, the phrase, be of good courage, the first thing you're going to think of is probably like Deuteronomy 31.6, when Moses is telling Joshua and the children of Israel, when you go into land, you be of good courage, do not be afraid. So what he's saying right here is he's, he's quoting something from the Old Testament in the law specifically. And then we have this, it is I, or it is I am. And if you're a Bible student, you know how important that name is. Because if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that's when Moses encounters the burning bush. And that burning bush, which we know is Jesus speaking to him, God himself in that burning bush, he's saying, I'm going to send you back to that dark country, Egypt, and I want you to rescue my children, the Israelites. I want you to go back there. And he says, they won't believe me. Who am I supposed to say that sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. The great I am sent you. And then when here's Jesus walking on the, wa the waves, coming to them, he's 
quoting now, in particular, two passages of Scripture that come right out of the law. And that's important for us to know. Because Jesus, he came not to abolish the law, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says. He came to fulfill it, the law and the prophets, because those were his witnesses. He had to fulfill the law and the prophets to claim that he was the Messiah, the great I am. All these pictures, these symbols of Jesus that we find in the Old Testament, which is over 300, by the way. Over 300. And when Jesus is performing a miracle or a sign, he's not just randomly performing this miracle. It's strategic. It's for a purpose. And right here, he is strategic in saying, it's I am. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. And when you start looking in the prophets, what you're going to find is something that's Again, when you read the commentaries on this passage, they're gonna, you're going to see Isaiah 43. He's going to fulfill the law and the prophets here to be a witness to proclaim to his disciples, I am who I say I am. I'm the Messiah. You can trust me. If you, you know if a prophet can't be validated, he's not a prophet. We know that, right? And Jesus is validating himself. Everybody turn to Isaiah chapter 43 real quick. Isaiah 43. And our translators, they actually labeled or titled this passage, The Redeemer... Of Israel. And it says, it starts off, but now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, fear not. You hear that? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, it shall not burn you, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God. And if you continue to read this song or this, um, this passage in, in Isaiah 43, you're going to find this thing now riddled and peppered with this account, even what Jesus is doing right now. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Fear not, it is I am who will save you. And so what Jesus is doing for his disciples is, and these are Hebrew men, they should know the scriptures. He's recalling his witness in the Old Testament, in the law. He's fulfilling it. Okay? You get that? So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 14. And something must have clicked with Peter because he does the, an extraordinary thing here. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What? That's one of the craziest things, right? 
But Jesus says to him, come. Now, I would love, 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 love to be here for this. Because you have the, the 11 disciples, the elder disciples that are sitting in the boat. And I didn't, we don't have any recording of them saying, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. They're just sitting quiet, I guess. I don't know. Or are they trying to talk Peter out of it? We don't know. I would love to be here to see the dialogue. Or they are in absolute shock because they still think it's a ghost. They're not even talking. Who knows what that's like? I'm going to ask God to do a replay of it when I get to heaven. Because I want to see this. Right? But so here's Peter. I mean, the, the boat is shaking. It's rocking because of the storm. And as you notice, Peter, Jesus doesn't stop the storm. He still allows Peter to get out of the boat as the waves are coming. But Peter does it. And what does it say? He's, he gets down out of the boat. He walked on the water to Jesus. But... When he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. What was the problem here with Peter? Jesus told him to come, so why is he sinking? Because these waves, his circumstances around him, took his focus. He lost track of Jesus in the word. When Jesus says, come, you come. You don't... You can trust that. So he stepped out, starts walking, and notices something out of this peripheral or something, and he notices these gigantic waves, and he becomes afraid and starts sinking, and then he cries out with the three best words you can cry out to God, Lord, save me. That is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray, and it's only three words. Lord, save me, and then what happens? Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Again, that word immediately, and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And is Jesus rebuking Peter here? I don't think he's rebuking him. I think he's just calling a spade a spade. Peter, I told you to come to me. Why? What happened? You were walking. You were doing the miraculous. And then what happened? You, look, you were looking at me. Things were fine. You were on top of the storm. You, weren't in it. you were on top of it. And next thing you know, you broke, you broke track of me. And you started looking somewhere else. And now you got so focused on those wind and those waves, you became afraid and you started to sink. And he says, why did you doubt but Jesus still had mercy upon him and brought him up. And then they get into the boat and the wind immediately ceased. And it's like now probably the calm ocean. It's what's interesting is if you read John's account, it says as soon as he got in the boat, they immediately got to the other side like that. He didn't put that here. But watch the response of what happens. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And that is the point, I believe, what Matthew is trying to get at. That they finally get to the point, they're last at it, by the way, 
This is the last miracle that's recorded in the gospel of Matthew. And finally, they get to the point where they bow down and worship him because he now is to them the son of God because he proved it. He revealed himself through scripture and through a miracle together so they, they they could trust Jesus for what he was. But why not the other passages of scripture prior to that or the Jesus where the disciples were with Jesus and he was performing miracles. Why did they not then? Listen to the, the list of miracles in the book of Matthew. In chapter 4, he heals the sick. All the sick, it says. In chapter 8, he cleanses a leper. He cured a Roman centurion's servant. He cooled a fever. He stilled the wind. In the way, he stilled the wind. And he exercised demons. He restored a paralytic in chapter 9 and then goes ahead and continues in chapter 9. He stops a desperate woman's 12-year discharge of blood. He raised a little girl from the dead and he opens the eyes of the blind and then he made the mute speak. That's all in chapter 9. And then he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in chapter 12. And then he took five loaves and two fishes and fed over 5,000 people in chapter 14. And then we have our account of Peter walking on the, on the water to Jesus. Why is it that this one right here is the one where they finally submit and say, you must be the son of God? We have to ask that question. What, I would have said it a long time ago if I started seeing him do all these things. Wouldn't you? And one of our, the key that we have is actually in Mark's passage. So everybody turn to Mark chapter 6. And then you're going to go to verse 52. It's the last sentence of the same account. And it says, for they, that's the disciples, had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. He put them into that dark, crazy sea where they thought probably they were going to die maybe. They struggled all night long in it. They were in confusion, I'm sure. Why? Because they didn't understand the loaves. And so what's going on with the loaves? And again, there's an Old Testament reference going back into Exodus where God, Yahweh, provides manna from heaven. And the Israelites don't have to work for it. All they have to do is go out and collect it. And God himself, singularly, every single day for 40 years in the wilderness provided them loaves, manna from heaven. And now when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, he's telling the disciples and all those people who are there eating, I am the God who was feeding the children of Israel in the wilderness that bread. Now you guys are Bible students. What does bread represent? Spiritually. The word of God, right? Right? should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
And now, but what's different in that passage? It's not just Jesus handing it out. It's the 12 disciples who now are handing out the bread that Jesus is giving to them. And it's their responsibility to feed the people. You get it? They didn't understand that. And so then Jesus puts them through this crazy storm so they open their eyes to see the truth of Scripture. And they still won't fully get it until the day of Pentecost, by the way, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it shines the light on Scripture and they just, they go out and salvation's happening all over the place and they're able to interpret Scripture like they've never interpreted it before. But now, right now, they have a slice of the pie. They kind of understand this thing that Jesus is now the Son of God. He's the great I am. He's the one who is going to bring heaven down. But... What they don't really realize yet is now they're going to go out into all the nations and feed the nations the word of God and disciple all the nations in a dark world where suffering will happen, tribulations will happen, and Jesus will not remove them necessarily from the storm to do that. He will keep us in it. Because that's the way the world is apart from God. It's dark. It's crazy. It's void of meaning. And he is not going to remove us from that dark situation. He's going to thrust us into that dark situation. And we can be able to stand and walk on the wind, the circumstances of this life to perform his mission to love him and our neighbor. That's the meaning of this passage. And he's letting the disciples in and says, this is a game changer. Now I'm including you in on something that I've never included anybody in on before. You're going to take the word and you're going to feed people the word all around the world. Starting first in your home and then in your city. And then you're going to go out to the next city and then you're going to go out to the ends of the earth. And I am going to equip you with the Holy Spirit to do that. But I need you to have eyes to see the scripture and trust in me and do it and be of good courage and send yourself out and go out and be a blessing to the world. That's the point of this passage. That's the interpretation of this passage. Now, one thing that we can't do is put the 12 disciples in a special box and say, that right there is for them and not for me. Because they're the 12 disciples. They have a halo on their head, right? No, they don't. They started this whole thing out and we're recipients of it 2,000 years later. A disciple is a disciple. We might have different missions. We may have different callings and different gifts. But a disciple is a disciple and our passions should be in line with the word of God and his passion to reach the nation so they can receive the healing from the word and they can experience the living water of Christ. And one of the things I'm trying to, to teach our Ugandans because they are bombarded with the prosperity gospel. There shouldn't be suffering. If you're walking with Christ, you don't, you're not going to experience suffering. And if you are, you're doing it wrong. That's so unbiblical. 
And so what we, have, we, have to, we have to get them to think that sometimes God will put you in a storm and you can't always just blame it on Satan. And you can't always look at it and say, what sin do I have? Maybe God wants you in that storm so he can get glory. So he can get the glory. And I'm trying to teach these, these pastors, these leaders, and they're grasping it, but I'm teaching it because I'm saying, look what the word of God says. Don't look what Kent's saying. Look what the word of God's saying, and they're, and they're finally getting it. But as I'm wrapping up here, as a church, as individuals within this church, how does this passage of Scripture apply to us today? What are we supposed to take from this passage? And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. And this is what I can guarantee. Until Jesus comes back, this world will remain sinful and it will remain dark. And at times, the circumstances are going to be so crazy high that they just feel like I'm drowning and I don't know what to do. Sometimes there's going to be joy, but he's not going to always take us out of it. He's actually sometimes going to put us in it. And we can't be effective as disciples if we break our focus off who he is, what his word says, and we turn and we look at our circumstances and just start to drown. We know he'll save us if we call out, but I want to be in the game, don't you? I want to be in this game. I don't want to be constantly drowning. I don't want to stay in the boat. I want to walk on the water. And what he's telling us is, is like, look, look around. This world is crazy. This world is nuts right now, especially like right now. With what's going on internationally, even within our own government, what has happened? I thought Uganda was messed up, and I'm sitting here looking on the internet. It's like, what's going on with the U.S.? And it's like, what are my children going to grow up in? What's happening here? And I can easily get become afraid for my children and get wrapped up into my circumstances. And he says, Why are you do, what are you doing? Like, didn't I give you this passage as a reminder that you can actually walk on top of this and actually interpret and make sense of this thing as you're performing my mission, you're going out and loving people. Don't lose focus. Don't, don't lose the vision. Don't lose the mission. And that's what the disciples were going to have to grapple with. And when you read the book of Acts, you're going to see that. They're constantly struggling with tribulation and things that are coming against them. But here's what I want to say. Because it's one of the things I see a lot. Sometimes I see it in myself, but I'm seeing it a lot, especially on the field. People with good intentions, they go out. And the circumstances of another culture just over, just consume them and overtake them. And they stepped out in faith. They started walking and they didn't, they weren't rooted in scripture. They didn't wake up every morning. They weren't looking to Jesus. They weren't calling out to him every single day. And next thing you know, they're sinking and they go off the field. They go off the field. And it happens to all of us at some point where we feel like we're sinking and we remember I'm supposed to look to Jesus. But This is what I'm going to say, and as I conclude. 
Every single day, we wake up. We're going to wake up and we have to make a conscious decision to lock in on Jesus as we go about our jobs every day. As we handle our families every day. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, this is something that we do every single day. And as we walk every single day, we could easily be consumed by our circumstances, our financial circumstances, my marriage circumstances. My children are acting up. These people are coming against me. My job situation. And we have to rely upon the word of God and stay in the game. And in what he is telling us here, focus on me. Trust my word, focus on me, and you can stay above it. And my encouragement for us today, church, let's not get taken out of the game. Let's rise above our circumstances. And let's focus on the face of Jesus. Let's move forward. But I understand sometimes this is challenging. Believe me, I know. I know this is challenging. For me personally, when I come, I think about this passage and I'm looking at this and I recall going back when God called me to come to him in Gulu, Uganda. And the first things I I was thinking is like, well, what happens when the electricity goes out 50% of the time? How am I going to handle it? Makes me afraid. And what happens when the water gets shut off in the dry season and when I turn the tap, it doesn't come out? I'm not used to that. And what happens if I, if I get malaria? Because that's going to happen. And then what happens now if my children get it? Then that is a whole different ballgame. And how are my children going to adapt to this culture? And I start thinking of all these things, and he just gently reminds me and says, Come to me. And I'm saying, well, what about the snakes, God? What about the black mamba? And the cobra? Because they're there. I hate snakes. And Eric can testify to it. One day I came into him. I said, I need prayer because I hate snakes. And I just remember, oh, you called me. You'll take care of all these things. And I, I'm... I'm testifying today. I'm so glad I stepped out. I'm so glad we stepped out to experience God in a new way because if we got consumed by our fears, we would have never experienced what we're experiencing today. So let me just encourage you. Sometimes it takes a leap of faith. You just step, but don't allow fear to run you. We are on mission, and we need to stay above all this stuff and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to trust in the word of God alone. Help us to rise above our circumstances, walk on these crazy circumstances, these waves of life. Help us to lock in on you every single day and live on the word every single day. Eat it every day. Help us change our, change our worldview to see a biblical worldview. Help us to interpret the scripture the way you want it to be interpreted so we know how to move forward. I pray for this church that maybe it's just a 
just a reminder for some that are just sinking in their circumstances. But they just, they just say, Lord, save me. And that you'd just reach down there and just, and just bring them up from whatever it is. And then you get in the boat with them and then there's peace. And they can figure out how to, how to move forward. Father, I pray for people who are not saved tonight, who know that this message was about them stepping out of the boat and coming to Jesus, and they're afraid. And they know that they, without, without you, Jesus, that they have no salvation, but yet they're afraid. Help them to step out and trust in you and walk on it. Just be with us. Be with this church. Help to be a light in this community. Help us to always continue to preach the word. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that we all see you a little more clear. We understand your plan. And we understand, Lord, it's only by you that we can, we can do this thing. And so just be with us. Help us and guide us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.